welcome to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast, which are now entering their fourth year of broadcast. Who would have thought that when Seth died in 2014, all these years later we would be making a podcast in his memory? It's a really exciting time for Charlotte and me. We've been recording 30 podcasts, one for each day in November, as part of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Charlotte has been talking to all kinds of people involved with pancreatic cancer and over the next 30 days we will hear lots of personal stories. Stories of love, stories of commitment, stories of hope and sadly, as always with pancreatic cancer, stories of loss. Each story will help you understand the challenges of pancreatic cancer as well as the signs and symptoms and will help you to have conversations with people and ensure that they are aware of what to look out for. Join us each day for our Purple Rainbow podcast. If you miss any of the episodes, you can catch up by visiting www.purplerainbow.co.uk where all of the podcasts will be stored for you to listen to at your leisure. Follow us on your podcast channel, like and share, and join us for an interesting month with lots of stories of love and hope. Welcome to today's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. Remember, this is one of 30 episodes you're going to be getting across November 2021 for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. I'm Charlotte, and today it's a real privilege to share Dominique's story. Now, Dominique wanted to come on the podcast to talk about her mum, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer whilst she was in Australia during lockdown last year. The good news is, though, and I don't mind giving you this spoiler, the good news is that it was an early enough diagnosis for her mum to have the Whipple operation. So... Dominique begins the conversation by telling me about her mum. My mum is an absolute firecracker, to say the least. Uh, she's a Glaswegian lady, born and bred. Um, uh, she, her name's Suzanne. Uh, she's 57 years old. Uh, she is a full-time funeral arranger. So uh, n- definitely not the easiest of jobs. Um, and yeah, she raised me as a single parent and she's just an absolute warhorse of a human, basically. You didn't tell me in our pre-chat her job. That's... I know. Has she always done that? For the past 25 years, 26 years, uh, she's been a funeral arranger. Yeah. Gosh, what was that like growing up? Um, <laughs> I always tell this story is that she thought it would be really funny um, to buy me a denim jacket that said the WWE wrestler The Undertaker on the back of it. So I was like her little sidekick. Um, she's got a dark sense of humour, but she's also like one of the most empathetic people I've ever met. So she's she's who you want in those situations. Um which made this whole experience over the past year even stranger because she's the person that you'd want to be comforting you through something like this. Yeah, so it was September 2020, wasn't it, that this all began? So tell us, tell us what happened, essentially? What was the sort of the lead up to everything? So basically, I was living in Australia at the time and I got a text message from my mum saying not to panic because she never wanted me to panic, but she was um, in hospital. And essentially what had happened is that she had a pain in her right side. Um, It felt just like muscular and she'd gone to the doctor sort of late August about this pain in her side and they suspected that it could possibly be gallstones. Now, the doctor in question, who is just 
we owe him her life basically he's just the most fantastic man on the planet he thought oh I'm gonna do a little bit more digging and she went back a second time um and he went I'm just gonna send you to the hospital for some for just some checks because it could be something slightly more sinister um and by that point she'd started to go a little bit jaundice um so yeah they whipped her straight into the hospital and got CT scans and, and and things like that done she went to the doctor initially at the very end of August and then um, she was sort of uh, in and out of hospital. They, they did sort of CT scan centre for um, like colonoscopy and things, all, all, the, all that sort of um, routine stuff. And yeah, um, basically on the 28th of uh, September, she had the Whipple operation. And then it was after that, that um, when pathology came back, that we had the confirmation of pancreatic cancer. But yeah, the lead up, it was it was subtle. It was things that could have easily been missed. Um, and if it wasn't for the bright young spark of a doctor, who I don't even think had been a doctor for too long. So you'd think things are really fresh in his brain. If it wasn't for him, I, I don't know that it would have been spotted. Gosh, how grateful must you all be for that? Yeah, we love him. <laughs> like, so much. <laughs> he gets a Christmas card now. <laughs> so your mum had the Whipple operation. How is she doing now? Incredible. Um, incredible. Uh, she is back at full-time work. She's back at full steam ahead. Um, we knew it was going to be a long road ahead of us uh, and she surpassed every single milestone. Um, after the Whipple operation, because um, she had some positive lymph nodes, um, she did go for chemotherapy. But um, unfortunately, she took an allergic reaction um, to the first round of chemotherapy and she ended up in hospital for seven and a half weeks with a perforated bill. So chemotherapy, we were told, not an option. Um, but she had a scan, you know, after that point and, and things looked good. So she's just she's got so much energy. I, um, it's like it's, it's like back to how she was. She's changed as a person, but back to how she was before, which is just incredible <laughs> and what's it been like for you obviously you were in australia a text message please don't panic and what you know what's the first thing you do if a text message arrives that says don't panic on the top of it you panic hard yeah um so i guess things were just really up in the air um we were in the middle of a really strict lockdown in melbourne as well um with curfews not allowed outside without a mask couldn't leave the country um so after a week or so after she'd gone for some tests and they'd mentioned that potentially surgery might be happening and that we could be looking at pancreatic cancer as soon as those first words were mentioned um I started to put things in place um to get over as soon as I could so um I had to wait until she was admitted to hospital um again uh, and get a letter from her surgeon and her doctor to say because she lives on her own as well like and she, so I got a letter basically to say um that I needed to be able to leave the country and I got Australian federal police clearance to be able to leave. Um, that happened within 24 hours, um, like 10 a.m. in the morning. By 10 p.m. at night, I was on a flight. Wow, gosh. And I can't imagine what that flight w would have been like as well. It's just the scariness of A, flying in a pandemic and B, not knowing what's going on when you, with your mum. I cried most of the way there and I was on a Colombian repatriation flight and no one around me spoke English. <laughs> So they just, they were trying to comfort me. Um, and we got, we got stuck on, they had to make an emergency landing and we got stuck on the tarmac in Oman for five and a half hours. Now, my mum had gotten weekend release from the hospital because she knew I was coming back. And um, 
oh, I was only going to be able to see her for one hour, basically, if my flight got in on time before she then went in and the very next day had the Whipple operation. But because we got stuck in the tarmac in Oman, it meant that she had to go back into hospital. And, and I didn't end up seeing her for a couple of weeks, obviously, because she was in hospital and we couldn't go visit. Oh, gosh, Dominique. <laughs> I mean, It was insane. It was a whirlwind. Um, and um, I can't really tell you a lot of what else happened at that point, because I think everyone was just dazed and confused. I bet. I absolutely bet. But obviously we've got a good, happy, positive outcome. Since since last year, how has thing? you know, you said your mum's changed a little bit. How, how do you think she's changed? I think she just, you know, being through something so traumatic um, and, you know, things happen so quickly with this type of cancer and you read, you can't help it. Even if she didn't want to, you can't help but read up online. And I think, you know, she's never been scared like that before. And I don't think anyone would ever understand, not me or anyone else would ever understand unless they've been through that, what that kind of fear is like. And it makes you take, I think the way she described it, it makes you take stock. And then suddenly you're just so aware of the people in your life that are the most important. Um, so she's changed because she, she's just, while she still does the same thing, she still goes to work, she still lives her life, she still goes to the shop, you know, all these little things. There's just an air about her now where, where she knows that she came so close to, to, to dying that, um, and there was a few times where she came really close over the past year and she just, you know, has this appreciation for the people around her so much. Um, not that she didn't before, but it's 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 a deeper appreciation and I feel like she just really tries to see and understand people in a completely different light now. What about you? Do you think it's changed you as well? Yeah, massively. Massively. Um, yeah, I think um, there's still a lot of anxiety and there's these fear, because you know at some point in your life you'll lose your parent. If, if, the, if the natural order of things happen, at some point in your life, you'll have to deal with that. But you don't expect it to happen at 27 years old. And you don't expect it to happen um, under almost movie-style circumstances because that's what it felt like. It felt like something out of a soap opera. So, yeah, you just learn to appreciate. And you see, I think your parents are always your parent, but when you see them so vulnerable and you see them helpless and you see them needing the kind of care that they've provided you it when you were younger it's just now I hear as well you've been involved in some and I quote funny and interesting fundraising <laughs> yes yes um so November being um pancreatic um cancer awareness month last year um as she was recovering from the Whipple procedure when she was at home um I decided well I need something I need something other than just fussing over her and, and putting all my time and watching her like a hawk constantly to see any changes in her. And she needs a bit of fun as well. So there's Challenge 24 that happens every single year for um, Pancreatic Cancer UK. And we thought, okay, well, how can we make this a little bit different? Because number one, I'm not particularly fit. So me running a mile <laughs> or running 24 miles or walking 24 miles probably wasn't gonna happen. So what we did is we set up a fundraiser and um, we called it 24 daft things to stick it to pancreatic cancer. And what happened was um, if you made a donation to the fundraiser, 
you could suggest something stupid for me to do and it would go in a jar and then every day throughout November I would film my mum picking out um, the task from the jar and then she would help me film or we would film together um, that process uh, and some of the, the insane things. <laughs> people were pretty kind. I mean, if it were me, I might have suggested some crazier things, but people were generally pretty kind. Although I did make an absolute ass of myself a few times. So what were you doing? What were some of the tasks that you were set? Um, I had to shave off part of my eyebrow. I had to do a drag routine. Um, I had to wear as many items of clothing as I possibly could and go out into the street and scream, I'm the prettiest pinata and then dance to Mexican music. Uh, <laughs> um, I had to make like a silent movie. I had to, uh, what other ones were there? Um, had to do a fashion show with only household items. Um, Sorry, and you think this was quite kind? <laughs> I honestly, they could have got away with way worse. Um, I had to give myself an ice bucket challenge. Um, what else? Um, I um, I pole dance as well. So I wear these like ridiculously big heels uh, and I had to go around a local park in, in the middle of winter in hot pants and heels and do a lap <laughs> of the park. So... Um, it gave it gave other people a laugh too, I think. And also, you know, your mum's getting, you know, recovering as well. You're recovering from everything you've been through as well. I think this is really important that people acknowledge when their family, you know, family have to go through a bit of recovery time as well. But what was it like? You said you, you and your mum were doing some of these together or filming them together. How was that for, for the pair of you? It was, it gave us something every single day to look forward to other than, oh, have you taken your medication? Oh, we've got to take these pills at this time. Oh, have you eaten? Have you been to the toilet? Um, how are you feeling? How's your pain levels? Now, in amongst this, for that month, there were several times where my mum had to go for overnight stays in hospitals. There were several times ambulances had to be called. And looking back on the videos now, you could really tell how sick she was. But it gave us something every single morning and something every single day that we could laugh at. And then seeing all the support that she was getting and the kind messages um, from everyone online as we were posting all these videos just really, I think, perked it up and, and made... You know, people were donating because it was fun and it was something to do, but they were donating because they loved her and that she was important and this is something that they could do for her whilst not being able to be physically there with her. It feels like everyone benefited from this in so many different ways. It's not just the fundraising, it was the being able, like you say, being able to show that love and appreciation in times when we couldn't, you know, spend time together. And it gave you that little bit of that hope as well, didn't it? Yeah. We just knew that um, there were some that she couldn't participate in um, because she was too sick or, or she was in hospital. Um, but it was just something, you know, laughter. They always, I know it's, it's a cliche for a reason, right? And I know it is. But laughter, if you can laugh in times like that when everything just feels so hopeless and so dire and everything is so uncertain, then I think you can, you know, you can, you can really help pull each other out of those dark places because... You know, t things did get really dark and there was a lot of dark conversations and conversations you don't want to have. Um, but then we always knew we had this and it was going to be something funny that would get us through. At least we knew this month we've got it covered. You know, we've got something to do this month that's not focused on her being sick because 
that was just so draining for her. Thank you so much to Dominique for speaking with me, sharing her story, telling me about her mum, who, let's be honest, it sounds absolutely amazing. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Um, You can also leave us a review and a rating. And of course, we are here every day in November, raising awareness of pancreatic cancer. You can find out more at purplerainbow.co.uk. And of course, I will be back for another episode tomorrow.